The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So the name of our Christmas series is Finding the Perfect Christmas. And when I was thinking about what would be the perfect setting, like if I could pick the setting where I would want to be at Christmas time, it would be something like this. It would be like this, this cabin nestled up in a mountain in the woods. You know, you've got the fire crackling over here. You've got the snow falling gently outside. You've got an overstuffed chair there where I could get a good book, strong cup of coffee. I'd have my whole family there, my wife, uh, Rebecca, and our three kids. And just think about being there for Christmas time. Man, that just sounds like that would be like the perfect setting for Christmas. But I don't know, for you it might be something different. You might say, look, okay, the cabin's nice, but if I was at that cabin, what would make it perfect is, man, I want to get out of that cabin. I want to go out into that winter wonderland, have some adventure. Man, I want to get out there and, and do stuff. And so maybe for you, it's not the, the cabin itself. Maybe it's something more like this. Like for you, you're saying, man, I want to get out and go do some skiing. Maybe you say, I'd like to do some snowboarding, go on a snowmobile. I want to have some adventure, which for me, I mean, I, my adventure is very limited. Like after snow angels, like I'm out, okay? That's, that's too much for me. But maybe for some of you, like, look, that's what I want. I would love to go. Perfect Christmas for me would be go out and, and have some adventure. Now, others of you might be saying, okay, look, if I'm going to travel anywhere for Christmas, it's not going to be this. If I'm going to travel somewhere, this is where I'm going, I'm going to be honest, I heard some cheering, and I heard some groaning, okay? This is kind of a love-hate relationship with a theme park like Disney. However, what I would say is if you could make this Christmas miracle happen where there's no humans, I might be in, okay? Like, you might have me on that one, okay? But some of you are saying, okay, this is nice. Christmas at Disney, but, you know, even if there's no humans, that is not remote enough. Like, I want no one around. And so for you, when you say perfect Christmas, you're thinking this. Ah. I mean, you just feel the sun. I can just feel the sun beating down on me, okay? I hear, like, the, the waves lapping up against the shore. Uh, uh, some of you are saying, look, okay, I said no one. I see boats. Like, get the boats away. They're too close, okay? I want no one around. Okay, so I, I don't know what the perfect Christmas is for you. You know, it might be something different. But we're talking through this series about finding the perfect Christmas. And there's something about Christmas that we, is in this Christmas time, we have these expectations, we have expectations at Christmas time. You know, we, we, we want things to be just right. In fact, there's this um, one particular Christmas decoration that I really think kind of uh, encapsulates that desire we have at Christmas for everything to be right. And it's, it's the snow globe. Because inside every snow globe, you have this, you know, perfect little sphere. And there's always a perfect little scene. And inside here, there's this little village Everybody's happy in this village. No one's stressed out. Everybody gets along, okay, in this little village. And even when they want the weather to be just right, 
just have to shake it up, and it's just a perfect little winter snowstorm inside, and the, the big fluffy flakes just flittering down. I mean, this snow globe, like inside there, it's always inside a snow globe. It's always kind of Christmas perfection inside there. And there's just something about Christmas that our expectations are higher than normal, okay? And it's just like the snow globe kind of, it's kind of that picture of that. We have these expectations, okay? We, we want the traditions to be just how we remembered. You know, we want the food and the recipes to taste just right. We want the parties to be just right. We want everyone that's supposed to be there to be there. We want everyone getting along, okay? We, we, we want the gifts that, that we get to be right and the gifts that we give to be right. We just want everything right. You know, just something about Christmas time that we have these high expectations. But it's not just about the festivities. Man, there's something about Christmas. I mean, it, it, it's, it's higher than normal for, for holidays, because we, we sing things like it's the most wonderful time of the year. We say it's the happiest season of all. I mean, there's high expectations. In fact, I'll take it a step further. I think we don't just have high expectations for the festivities and the, the parties and things like that and the decorations. I, I think it's tapping into something even deeper. Like it's tapping into this deep down longing that we have. Because we say things like joy to the world and peace on earth. There's just something about Christmas time that it just taps into that longing where we want, man, all the bad stuff away. We want everything that is just made right. You want all the tears away. We want all the hurts away. We want everyone getting along and everything to be as it should be. Christmas has a way of just tapping into, man, something deep down that longs for everything to be right. So how do you find that perfect Christmas? Or what is a perfect Christmas? Or why do we even long for such things at Christmas time? You know, there's a, a part of the Bible, I want to look at a couple verses uh, tonight that speak to that, speak to that longing. And I think it's got a, a message for each one of us today. I want you to hear what this passage has to say because it just might help us know how to satisfy that longing that's deep down that Christmas just has a way of bringing to the surface. I'd like to look at a passage that's in the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 11. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can open to Isaiah 11. It's also going to be up here on the screens, but let me just uh, tell you the background of this passage. For starters, this was written about more than 700 years before Jesus Christ was born. So more than 700 years B.C., some would say. And so in this passage, here's the setting. It is a really, really bad time for God's people. In the kingdom of Judah, it is just a high anxiety. It's just really kind of a hopeless time in their history. They have a king named Ahaz. He is a descendant of David. So he's part of that dynasty that the great King David started. He's 13 generations after David. But he's also pretty much the most wicked king to have ever sat on the throne in that kingdom. And he has taken all of God's people away from God and has pretty much run the kingdom into the ground. And now all of their enemies, multiple different empires, are crowding in, threatening to destroy them. And in the midst of this really helpless moment, God has a message for these people that he speaks through Isaiah and is pretty much the best possible news for them. He's going to tell them that a new king is going to show up. Look what it says, Isaiah 11. Let me just read this first verse. Listen to how it describes this king. It says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, 
and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Okay, here is how this king is described. Okay, this is, this is prophecy. So there's a lot of imagery, a lot of metaphors. It's describing, it starts with a stump. So imagine the family tree of David. Jesse is David's father. So the family tree of David, the, the kingly dynasty has been cut down. It's a dead stump. And what it says is that a branch is going to grow out from that stump. A branch or a sprout or a shoot. Now that word shoot, like branch, that is an important word. I want us to remember it, so I want us all to say that together. Let's say shoot. One, two, three, shoot. Okay, I want you to remember that. The shoot is going to grow up from that stump. He's describing that king as the shoot, as the branch. So whereas the, the tree is cut down, the dynasty is going to cut down, there will be another king that comes as a descendant from David. Now he's going to describe what this king is like, and you've got to see this because he pretty much describes this king in terms that would make him like the most perfect ruler or leader ever. Listen to what he says. Let me pick it up in verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. In other words, God's going to miraculously empower him to do this. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now I want to just pause just for a second. Here's how this king is described. It says that God will miraculously enable him to always know what's right. He'll have wisdom to always know what the right thing to do is, miraculously. Man, that would be incredible to have a leader or a king. I mean, that in a lot of ways, your fate is tied to how he leads or, or that ruler leads. I mean, can you imagine knowing that God will miraculously help them to always know what's right? That would be good news. Not only will he always know what's right, it says he will have the might to do it. Because it's one thing to know what the right thing is, but a lot of times you're powerless to accomplish it. But not this king. He'll know what's right and he will have the power to do it. But it's one more thing, one more piece to the puzzle that makes him perfect. He knows what's right, he'll have the power to do it, and he will have the fear of the Lord. In other words, he will have the conviction to always do what's right. Because all of us know there are people that know what's right and have the power to do it and don't. But not him. This king will always know what's right, always have the power to do it, and always will do it. Man, that's someone you can let lead you. That's, a, that's an incredible king. He says he is, he says he's like, wears justice like a belt around his waist. That, that is the marker of his reign. He will always lift up the powerless and protect them and always hold the wicked accountable. He won't tolerate corruption. He's not going to tolerate crookedness. He will always hold the wicked accountable. Now, I want you to see what else it says. It says, this is what it would be like to live in his kingdom. Listen to this. This is really beautiful imagery. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child 
shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Man, did you hear that description? It's just beautiful. This is where that, that phrase, that concept, the lion will lay down with the lamb, this is where that comes from. Listen, listen to this whole list of predators. You've got a wolf, a leopard, a lion, a serpent, and they're dwelling in harmony with a lamb, a calf, a young goat, a cow. I mean, this is the way this king, kingdom is described is just, it's just total unity. He says, none of them will hurt anyone. In other words, all evil has been put away. All bad guys have been put away. All hurt, all tears. I mean, listen to how this kingdom is described. Man, all of that bad stuff is put away. It's just peace and harmony and unity. Everyone's getting along. Everything is as it should be. Everything is made right. Does that sound familiar? That's how this king, that's what it would be like to live in this king's kingdom. Man, there's just something about that that sounds so good. You know, there's a, a woman that a few years ago, she got the best Christmas gift that she could have ever gotten. It was right before Christmas, and um, she had been working towards this, spending a lot of money towards this. I mean, she had been spending so much time working towards this, and just a few days before Christmas, she was notified by uh, the Guinness Book of World Records that she had uh, successfully set a world record. And I mean, it was one of the happiest days of her life. And you say, okay, well, wow, what was the world record that she set? Well, I just want to actually just show you the picture. Check out this picture. This is the world record that she set. <laughs> she was thrilled to find out that she had, mirac she had, I mean, near miraculously, she had amassed the largest collection of snow globes. 4,059 snow globes. Now, I know that just devastated someone out here because there's someone out here that's like, what? I've been working towards that for years. I mean, I'm only at 500 snow globes. Well, just keep working at it, okay? But you're going to have to get a few more, okay? Because she has over 4,000 snow globes, all right? And she said this, um, Guinness uh, interviewed her. And in the article, it said this about why she collects these snow globes. It says this. Her name is Wendy. To Wendy, snow globes represent romance, dreams, and happiness. So she always tries to find new items to add to her ever-growing collection wherever she travels. Now listen. She says that nothing will compare with the happiness she feels when a carefully selected snow globe is added to the display units in her living room. Now, a couple thoughts. Uh, for starters, if you are wondering where she keeps 4,059 snow globes, it's in her living room, okay, just for your knowledge. Um, second of all, I want you to see this. Okay, we, we're using the snow globe as like a, a symbol, you know, a, as a symbol of, man, this is like when everything's right and happy. You know, it's like it represents that. But for this woman, it not just represents that. That is how she finds happiness. 
That's her pursuit. That's how she expects to achieve that. And that begs an important question. I mean, when we read this passage, I don't know about you, but I'm like, wow, that's incredible. A king that makes everything right. I mean, how do you get there? How do you get when everything's made right and that longing in our hearts is met? Like, how do you get that? Well, let me just read one more verse in Isaiah 11. Let's pick it up. Isaiah 11, verse 10. Here's what it says. In that day, the, what's that word right there? Root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Okay, there's some issues here with this verse. I mean, there's a couple things in here that, you know, it's kind of hard to reconcile. Okay, we just, this passage earlier said that this king is the shoot, right? He grows out of the stump, so he's the descendant. But here it says he's not the, sh- not the shoot, he's the root. So if you think of a family tree, how, do you, how can you be shoot and root? How are you ancestor and descendant? Okay, that's a little bit problematic. Okay, the second thing in here is it says that somehow he will be a signal, like a banner, and it will be a banner for all people, and then it says something interesting here. It says, his resting place shall be glorious. Now that, I mean, that is very, very troubling. That might be the most troubling part about this because how could someone's final resting place be a place of glory? If you're speaking this into another ancient context, like maybe like the ancient Egyptians, you could understand that. I mean, their tombs and their graves were very glorious, right? There are pyramids, there's sphinx, There's obelisks. I mean, they made a big deal about their graves and tombs. But man, when you speak this into an ancient uh, Hebrew context, man, the, the tomb or the grave was just about the most unclean place in their mind. How could, that's the farthest thing from something glorious. In fact, if you touched a dead body or went into a tomb or touched a grave, you would be unclean and would have to do all of these ceremonies to make yourself clean again. So how could his final resting place be glorious? I mean, there's a lot of problems here in this verse. Well, let's just take this one at a time. How, do you, how could someone be both ancestor and descendant, both root and shoot? Well, let's go to the Christmas story. Remember, there's Joseph and Mary, and they're engaged. And Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant. And he knows that the baby's not his. So he decides that uh, clearly this relationship, this marriage is over before it's even begun. So he's going to break off the engagement and he has a dream and in that dream an angel appears to him and the angel says, Joseph, don't be afraid to marry your fiance. What's happening in her womb is from God. Marry her. And then the angel reminds him of an ancient prophecy that goes back more than 700 years before. In fact, it was something God spoke through this very prophet Isaiah. If I just turn over two pages to Isaiah 7, this is the prophecy that angel reminded Joseph. He says this, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You realize that this, the whole virgin birth thing, that's not something Mary and Joseph came up with. 
That was prophesied seven, more than 700 years before the time of Jesus. In other words, that was something they should be watching for. It's like the angel saying, Joseph, don't freak out. Do you remember that prophecy from 700 years ago? It's your fiance that that's happening to. And that is one of the main reasons for that, for this phenomenon of this virgin birth, is it's a sign of who this baby is. It's Emmanuel. And the Bible is very clear that the name, the meaning of the name is so important. The name Emmanuel means God with us. Who is this baby? It's God in the flesh. Jesus Christ is God become man. How can you be both root and shoot? How can you be both ancestor and descendant? Well, if you're God and you've made the family and then you decide to enter into the family, you are both the founder of the family and a descendant of it at the same time. What is Isaiah saying? He's saying this branch, this shoot, this incredible perfect king is not just a flesh and blood king. It's not just flesh. And it's not just God. He's not just talking about God. He's talking about God in the flesh. That's who this king is. And what did God come into the flesh to do? Jesus came for one purpose. He came to die. They raised him up on a cross, nailed him to the cross. He suffered a violent death on the cross. Why did God come to suffer violence? He took violence on himself so we could find peace with God. He's paying for our sins on the cross. He paid for our sins on the cross. And that cross is now a symbol, a signal, a banner for all people. It's a banner of salvation, that signal of the cross. And then they laid him in the tomb, which they thought would be his final resting place. Now, how could a, a resting place be glorious? Well, what happened was on the third day after he was crucified, some of his followers, some ladies come running and bursting into the door where Peter and John are and they say, someone has taken the body of Jesus. The, there's not, there's, the tomb is empty. And I love the way John puts it. John says, he and Peter took off running. And one of my favorite parts of the story is John makes sure it's preserved throughout all of history that he got there first. He says, like, look, if there's one race you want to win, it's Easter morning to the tomb. And Peter had to live with the rest of history. Everyone knows John won that race, okay? <laughs> he gets to the tomb, and he says, and, and, but there's another reason John says this. He says, he, John says, I got to the tomb, and I stopped and looked in. I didn't go in. Why didn't he go in? Well, of course he's not going to go in. He's been following the Jewish law all his life. If he walks into the tomb, he becomes unclean. But Peter takes off running, and when he comes by John, he goes right into the tomb. Why would he go into the tomb? Because he knows if it's true, if the scriptures are true, and Jesus has risen from the dead, then it doesn't matter if he gets unclean by going into that tomb, because Jesus has just absorbed all his uncleanness onto himself and washed all the uncleanness away. How is a resting place glorious? Well, if it's the place of the defeat of all sin and all uncleanness, then it's glorious. If it's, a, if it's an empty tomb where someone has actually defeated death itself, well, then it's glorious. 
And if it's not actually his final resting place, then that changes this verse altogether because what Jesus actually did is he didn't, that wasn't his final resting place. He appeared to his followers and then went back up to heaven and it describes it like this. He sat down on the throne at the right hand of God the Father where he reigns as king. So where is his final place where he's resting in his reign? Well, it's glory. He's in heaven. Well, what's Isaiah saying here? He's saying there's a king. His reign is perfect. There's no king possibly like him. And those in his kingdom, those are citizens of his kingdom. Enjoy how he's making all things right and bringing peace. And he says, who is this king? This king is one who's God in the flesh, who, who's lifted up for all people, dying on a cross and rose again from the dead, defeating, paying for our sins and defeating death itself so that we can know if we put our faith in him, we'll spend eternity with him in glory. And he's for every single person. He's offered to every single person. He's for all people. You know, there's um, something about Christmas time that, when we read passages like this, I mean, there, there's something about Christmas time that just makes us feel this, this longing inside. I mean, it's not just for the festivities. It's not just the shiny presents and the decorations and the lights. I think for every one of us, it's tapping into something a little deeper, a longing deep inside that kind of comes to the surface at Christmas time. But what if what satisfies that longing is offered to you today. You know, there's a song, that Christmas song, it was actually first performed by a woman named Natalie Cole in 1990, and then another artist named Amy Grant um, kind of popularized it, and then since then, just tons of artists have covered this song. And this song really just encapsulates how at Christmas time, there's something deeper we're longing for. And um, I actually want you to, to hear this song. I'm going to invite Pastor Josh out to play this song. And as you hear this, here's what I would want to encourage you to think about. Maybe for you at this Christmas time, man, there's something that in your heart you're saying, look, you know, all the distraction of Christmas time is fine, but what I know is things are not right. Things are not the way they should be. I've got broken relationships. I, I, you know, things are not where I want them to be in my job, in my career, financially, my health. There's all these things that are not right. And and Christmas could be just like a little distraction from that. Or maybe we tap into that longing a little bit deeper. Because Christmas makes us think about that. I want you to listen to this song. Check it out.
There's something about that song that just taps into that thing that, that Christmas so often brings to the surface, maybe that no other time of year does, or just reminds us of that longing deep inside that things are broken, and we long for them to be fixed. And so I wonder what that is in your life today. And so, so often what we do, because we've got those things, we're like, oh, I just wish that these things were better. I wish this was better. I mean, what are you looking for to fix that in your life? For some of us, it's, you know, during the Christmas season, it's like, look, I, I've got all this that's messed up, things in my life I don't like. I got this broken relationship, or my marriage is struggling, or this brokenness with, with one of my kids, or I've got this going on with my health, this going on financially, this going on with my job. And, and you know, if, I, if Christmas could just provide just that little distraction just for a few weeks, if I could just get lost in the, in, in the lights and the decorations and the food and the traditions, if I could just be distracted for a little bit, I'd just get a little reprieve. But man, reality's waiting in January. You know, what is it that you're looking for, you know, to, to really satisfy that longing? You know, these snow globes, they uh, make great decorations. 
And something I learned uh, just this last few weeks about snow globes is about 70 years ago when they started mass producing snow globes, uh, they, they stopped filling them with water. There's not water in snow globes anymore. The reason is because when they ship them, when they get to low temperatures, the water freezes and it cracks the, the glass or the plastic. So they had to put a different substance in here. And so there's all kinds of chemicals. Oftentimes, it's just straight antifreeze. And the reason that's in there is not only it keeps it from, from cracking, but also it helps the snow to just fall a little slower, you know, and it just kind of creates that thing. But here's the interesting thing, you know, what a, what a picture. Inside, this looks perfect, but it's poison. So it looks nice on the shelf, but don't drink it, okay? You know, what's that thing that you're looking for to get you past maybe... If this is the one thing that will fix it, you know, if I can just find that new relationship, if I could just, you know, find that, you know, my career, just this would fix in my career, if just this would happen, you know, then that, you know, that would be what it would take to make everything all right. You know, all those things are great. Those are great. Those are great things to have as a piece of your life, but don't drink that. Don't think that's what's going to satisfy your thirsty soul. Because here's what Jesus said will satisfy your thirsty soul. He's actually stood with a woman who was doing just that. She was going from relationship to relationship, from this thing to this thing to this thing. And really her soul was thirsty and she's looking for all these other things to satisfy that deep down longing. And what Jesus said is he says, I am the living water. If you drink the living water, your soul will never thirst again. So here's the opportunity that I want to give you today. I want to give you the opportunity to make Jesus your king today. Make the one who really is the king, make him the king of your life. Put him on the throne. Make Jesus your king. Now, some of you might be saying, look, well, I mean, I, I've done that. I mean, I believe in Jesus. I mean, I, I've maybe you consider yourself a Christian or a Catholic all your life. Like, I go to church. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. That, that's not the stuff that I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about, you know, affiliating with Jesus or if there's one religion, it would be the one with Jesus. I'm not talking about doing religious activities that, are, that involve the person of Jesus. I'm not talking about every now and then you think about Jesus and when you're in trouble, you toss a prayer up to Jesus. I'm talking about making Jesus your king, taking yourself off the throne, handing the, the controls of your life, putting him on the throne of your life and becoming a citizen of his kingdom making him the king of your life every day. That's what I'm talking about. Well, some of you say, okay, why would I do that? Why would I just surrender and submit my whole life to Jesus? Why would I do that? Well, let me just give you two reasons. One is because that's what your soul's longing for. It's not going to be filled with anything else. Your soul is longing for Jesus. And here's the second reason why you'd surrender your life to him is because the Son of God came down to earth. He suffered, was rejected and suffered and humiliated and suffered violence and faced death itself and then defeated death. And he did all of that because he loves you. He made a way for you and I to spend eternity in heaven, something we can't do on our, by ourselves. He gave you, he's offering you eternity in heaven Man, the least we can do is offer him back our lives. So others of you might say, well, okay, that's fine, you know, but I don't think Jesus wants me. You don't know what my life is like. You don't know what, you know, my past looks like. I just don't think that I'm the type of person. I don't think that Jesus actually wants me. And can I just push back on that, please? Because everything in the Bible screams the exact opposite 
it says that he loves you. It says that while we were yet lost in our sin, every one of us, he died for us. In other words, he's saying, man, come to me just as you are right now. Don't go get cleaned up first. Don't go get religious first. Just come to Jesus and put him on the throne while we're in the midst of our, of our messy, sinful lives. He says he, he will be the one to pull us out. You can come to Jesus right as you are because he loves you. You might say, okay, well, what would happen? I mean, what happens when I make Jesus my king? What does that mean? I just get a little more religious? No, no, no. It's so much more than that. You know what Jesus said? He said, when you take that step and you make Jesus your king, what happens is he, he described it like you're born again, like a brand new life, like your past is washed away. You, are, you have a fresh start. Another part in the, in the Bible says you become a new creation, like you walk out of here, you hear put, become, make Jesus your king, and you walk out of here, something completely new, transformed from the inside out. It says things like the peace that passes understanding, like that miraculous peace just surges through you as your soul finally finds what it's looking for. Finding the perfect Christmas is finding the person of Christmas. It's Jesus. That's what your soul's longing for. And I want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus your king today. Is that you? Are you feeling that urging in your heart? I believe that there are some here, maybe some watching online, you're, you're feeling that urging in your heart. You can make Jesus your king today. I want to give you that opportunity, the chance to do that. Here's how we're going to do this. We're going to close uh, with a song, and um, I, I want to invite you to stand. Would you stand? Here's what we're going to do. Um, in in, in a, just a moment, we're going to begin singing. And when we begin singing, if you want to make Jesus your king, I'm going to invite you to come down front. While when you hear us start to sing, if you're saying, I want to make Jesus my king, I want to find what my heart's longing for, I'm going to invite you to take, take a step. You're just going to move your way outside the aisle. Ask to say, excuse me. They'll move out of their way. They'll be happy to move out of their way. And you're going to go either one of these side aisles or one of these middle aisles, and then you're going to come down here in front. You're going to make Jesus your king today. And if that's what you're doing, I want you to do that. Can we just welcome this woman down? Praise God. <laughs> Praise Jesus. And so you might be saying, like, like this woman, I want to take that step. But you're like, man, that's a bold step to do what this woman has just done. But here's the step that Jesus took. He came down from heaven and he came down to earth. I'm just asking that you would come down to the front. You say, I'm not sure that I have the courage like this woman. So maybe you just grab the hand of the person next to you, the person who brought you, or even a stranger if you have to, and you come down front. And you're going to have, when you take that step, you just take that one step of boldness, what's going to happen? You're going to hear us erupt it with applause. Why? Because we've taken that step in our lives, and it's transformed our life. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to begin singing. And if you also want to make Jesus your king, take a bold move and come down here. Walk out of here knowing for sure that you found what your soul has always been looking for, what it was made to look for. Walk out of here knowing for sure your sins are forgiven. Walk out of here knowing for sure you're going to spend eternity in heaven. Walk out of here for sure that your hands are in the good hand, your life is in the good hands of the perfect king. We're going to begin singing now, and if that's you, you take that step. Come on forward. Make Jesus your king today. Take that step.
Are there any here that are wrestling? Take one step and come down. God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Take that step. Make Jesus your king. Amen. Praise God. Is there anybody else? I believe there might be some more in here that you're wrestling and you're saying, look, I want to walk out of here knowing Jesus is my king. We'll give you another minute. Is there anybody else? Just take that one step and we'll cheer you on the rest of the way. Anyone saying, I want to make Jesus my king. Take that step. We'll wait. We'll wait another minute. We'd love to pray with you down here. Well, church, can we just celebrate with these here who are putting their faith in Jesus for the first time? Here's what we're going to do. Um, for those of you who are down front here, I'm going to just lead you in a simple prayer where you can make Jesus your king. So I'm just going to say some words, and I want to encourage you to just repeat these words after me. And we will, you'll begin this journey of making Jesus your king. Let's just pray with me. Would you just repeat these words after me saying, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. I make you my king. I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. I know I will spend forever in heaven with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's encourage these that are down front. Hey, before you go, uh, you've got a card that looks like this. It's in your Bible. I want you to pull out that card. It looks like this. Here's what I want you to do. Um, before, when you get back to your seat, before you join us in singing, I want you to take a minute and I want you to fill this out because this is not a journey you walk alone. We want to walk with you. So fill this out. I want you to leave that on your chair and we're going to follow up with you in the next couple weeks and let you know what the next steps are in this journey. You, you all may go find your seats. Hey, can we help just celebrate with these who made Jesus their king today? Praise God. Amen. Hey, church, we are going to end our night Tonight, we are going to end by celebrating our king, the king who reigns over our life, the king who reigns over all. We're going we're gonna to celebrate that together, that we have the privilege of singing and adoring our king. Let's sing together. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.